Well, good morning. It's a privilege to open the Word of God to you this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. And I always find these passages of Scripture especially um, exciting to read because we don't know much about Romans 15. We usually think of Romans 1 through 12, and uh, we don't necessarily hear too much about the later chapters of some of these books, so I'm excited to look at this with you together. Let me read our passage for us, verses 1 through 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you all with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of his Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we look to you to minister to us through the means of your word, by your Holy Spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Change our hearts, conform us to Christ, that we might follow his example, we pray in his name. Amen. Some of the most inspiring stories in church history are those of the famous martyrs of the faith. One of the earliest recorded martyrs of the faith was a man named Polycarp. He was born in 69 AD, and he was martyred in 155. And he was a disciple of the Apostle John. That's how close he was connected to the writers of the New Testament. And he was born about 12 years after this letter to the Romans was written. And he was the bishop of Smyrna, leader of the church there. Well, in an early document entitled The Martyrdom of Polycarp, which the church that he served put together and gave an account of his death, we have an account of some of his last words attributed to him. It's always interesting to hear people's last words, like when you're reading a biography or anything like that. And he's... He's, okay, picture this scene. He's standing in the Roman stadium, 
and he's being sentenced to death. And the Roman officials call on Polycarp to deny Christ. And this is how he responded. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And he subsequently burned to death for the faith. What I want you to notice is what what it was that gave him motivation to not shrink back, but to faithfully obey even unto death. It was this. It was a consideration of how Christ had treated him. In doing so, it was unthinkable that he would deny his master and savior. Well, Paul does something very similar in this section of Romans, in his exhortation to the believers there and to us today. A consideration of how Christ has treated us. But first, let's consider the context here briefly, where we're at in the book of Romans. Verses 1 through 13 basically form a conclusion to an argument that he started back in the beginning of chapter 14. This discussion of the strong and the weaker brother, which we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Paul concludes the discussion in our verses by urging all believers to respond in a certain way toward one another. To avoid disunity in the church. So how, get, how does God want us to respond to one another in His church? Well, Paul gives two complementary exhortations. One in verses 1 and 2, and the second one, the first part of verse 7. So that's how we're going to group these together. So point one on your outline, Paul's exhortations. The first exhortation is this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now this call to the strong, Paul includes himself among the strong here. And notice it says it's an obligation. It's not a suggestion. It's an obligation of how we are supposed to live. How God would have us to live. And the strong are to bear with the failings of the weak. You know, those, as we've been talking about, in the lesser matters of the faith, those who perhaps lack understanding, who don't see things yet the way others do in the church. And again, that's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to bear with those who don't share the same opinions that we do. You know, we tend to think that others in the church should see things the way we do, and if they don't, they're somehow ignorant or simple-minded. They become lesser in our eyes. And if you remember back in chapter 14, Paul exhorted them saying, "Who are we to judge the servant of another?" We often forget how long it took some of us to come to certain conclusions and opinions that we hold about matters. And we make the mistake of demanding that others instantly get it and share our same views. So we are to bear with the failings of the weak. But that doesn't merely mean to tolerate 
or put up with the weak. Listen to how the text goes on to say, we're not to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor for his good, to build him up, not just to tolerate and avoid such folks. You know, God sets the bar here, as we'll see as we go along, a lot higher than many of us set the bar of how we're to relate to one another. Now, when he mentions this idea of pleasing others, this is not an issue of pleasing others rather than God. He talks about that in other places in his letters. We're always to please God before men. But here, he's speaking of pleasing others rather than ourselves. This kind of pleasing pleases God, by the way. Incidentally, the idea of building up, building one another up in their faith. This comes up in other contexts in Scripture. Most notably, contexts dealing with spiritual gifts that he gives his church. And that's a good reminder for us because sometimes we can think of spiritual gifts as a very self-focused thing. What gifts do I have? What gifts do I not have that others have that I wish I had? You know, these kind of uh, thoughts that go through our minds. Always in reference to self. Almost as if these gifts, you're trying to latch on to these gifts so that you'll feel better about yourself and perhaps puff yourself up before others. Pleasing ourselves. So it's a good reminder to consider that these gifts for building others up are always others-centered. They're not self-focused. They're not merely for self-expression or self-actualization, but for the, the betterment of others around us in the body of Christ. So we are to be seeking to do good to others and build them up spiritually. Consider some examples of Paul speaking about these matters in other places, most notably 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9 He says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He's got spiritual uh, building up in mind as he's interacting with the weak. Now, I'll just note in passing that he's speaking of uh, becoming all things to all men concerning lesser matters. When it comes to the essential truths of the gospel, Paul doesn't budge one inch. If you, if you want to see an example of that, look at Galatians uh, chapter 1 through 3. Later in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Later in that same chapter 10, He says, give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This is the kind of mentality Paul has in mind here of pleasing others and not ourselves. The Princeton theologian of 19th century Charles Hodge In his commentary on this passage, he says, We are not to do everything which we may have a right to do. 
and make our own gratification the rule by which we exercise our Christian liberty. When was the last time you intentionally considered how to spiritually benefit those around you? Those around you in the pews here. Spiritually benefit them. Let alone those you don't see eye to eye with in the church. You see, we have a plague uh, of sin that all of us struggle with to one degree or another. It's self-centeredness. It's selfishness. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Respectable Sins, uh, mentions this as one of those sins, namely a subtle sin that we tolerate, that we don't see as that serious. But when you think about it, selfishness is very serious to the Lord because it's the very opposite of love. The way Scripture defines love is a giving of self to better someone else. It's other-centered. 1 Corinthians 13, the love section, defines it this way. It does not insist on its own way at the expense of others, I would add. Selfishness runs contrary to the very character of God as the fountain of love, of true love. You know, earlier, this, this verse in Romans has continually challenged me. This is back in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And here's, here's the kicker right here. Outdo one another in showing honor. How many of us put that into practice? Outdo one another in showing honor. See, that runs directly contrary to our sinful selfishness. We want things to be about us. We want the honor, right? Because, by the way, if we give honor to others, then they'll be puffed up and they'll think they're better than me. You ever thought that way? You ever felt that way? Well, let's, let's drill down a little bit more here in terms of application. Thinking about this self-centeredness versus how we're to be others-centered. Think of our speech for a moment. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and the other person talked nonstop about themselves and their opinions and what they would do and what they would say? And they never asked you one question about yourself or about what you thought or about what you had to say. You know, this idea of talking to someone rather than with someone. Do you feel loved in those moments? Do you feel valued by that person? See, we need to examine our speech with regard to pleasing others. Whether we're in face-to-face -face conversation with someone or even communicating through social media. When we do that kind of communication, are we pleasing ourselves? 
Are we outdoing one another in showing honor to another person? Or is it all focused on you? Note also that this exhortation implicitly condemns any form of gossip or making light or fun of someone else. Our speech should be other-centered to build them up. Think of Ephesians 4.29. We often quote this one, but rarely obey it. 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. Oftentimes, our words are like Proverbs 12 says, they're, they're like sword thrusts that tear somebody down, that kill others, injure others. How is your speech pleasing others rather than yourself? Second exhortation, skipping down to the beginning of verse 7. We'll get to the second half in a moment of that verse. But he simply says, therefore, welcome one another. He's already mentioned this idea back in chapter 14. Verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions and not to judge. And he's speaking to the strong specifically there. And later he says, God has welcomed him, that weaker brother. But here in verse 7 of chapter 15, this exhortation is to all believers. He says, to one another. He's, he's including the weak and the strong, or however that plays out in their midst. We are to receive one another with love, kindness, and concern. For instance, don't just be kind and welcoming to visitors and those who don't know Christ that you're seeking to witness with, but then sit down next to your brother or sister in Christ here, week in and week out, and give them the cold shoulder. I've seen that happen sometimes in church. Uh, the focus of we need to be welcoming to visitors, and surely we do. But then we sit there and hold grudges and criticize our brother that we sit next to every week. It should not be. Paul says in Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, we can say all we want about wanting to glorify God here at St. Andrews, but if we're not welcoming one another in love, we are not glorifying Him. So what, what does it look like to live this way, to, to carry out these exhortations that Paul would have us to carry out? And why live this way? Well, he gives two um, sections in this passage exalting Christ's example. He turns our eyes to Christ. He gives us the motive to obey these exhortations by directing us to the model the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Look in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now the text he cites here uh, in support of this is Psalm 69 verse 9. There, in that context, it refers to the reproaches of those who reproached God falling on his servant David. Here, it's applied to Christ, meaning that our sins and our reproaches against God fell on him. I want you to consider that truth for a moment. All your sins and reproaches and offenses against God fell on him. I was reading this week in the uh, Puritan Thomas Brooks, in one of his works entitled The Riches of Christ, this idea stuck out in, as I was reflecting on Christ taking all our sins upon himself in a very other-centered way. Thomas Brooks made this observation about the riches of Christ. He says, There is more need of praise than petitions. For our mercies outweigh our wants. Our mercies outweigh our wants. And he goes on to say that one of the most distinguishing characteristics of a believer should be is that they are thankful. That they are a thankful people. That should be a distinguishing mark of a believer in Jesus Christ. I want you to take time today at some point to reflect on that, that all of your sins, all of your reproaches against God fell on Him on the cross once and for all, and rejoice and thank God for that fact. You know, Christ chose not to please Himself, not to be served, but to serve others, didn't He? And to give His life so that you could have eternal life. Will you then turn around and please yourself over petty matters? Casting light on yourself and disparaging others after all that Christ has done for you? After He was so other-centered toward you? I think that's the emotional weight of Paul giving Christ's example here to consider. And then in verse 4, he gives a little aside from his train of thought. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture we might have hope. He gives us this passing comment on the practical importance of Scripture in the life of a believer. It's almost as if he is, he is saying... You know, he just cited this text from Psalm 69. He says, you know, and while I'm on it, let me just say this about Scripture. The means God uses to give us endurance and encouragement and ultimately hope is Scripture. This is God's design. As we'll see, He is, God Himself is the source of these qualities. He's the God of encouragement, endurance, and hope. But He primarily gives them through the Scriptures, as Paul 
mentions here. Now, who of you here this morning is not in need of some endurance in the faith, some encouragement, some hope? I don't know what you're, what's going on in your lives right now or what you're facing as you walked in the doors this morning. But my guess is all of us, to one degree or another, need these things. And if we need these things, you must read the Scriptures. You know, it shouldn't surprise us if we are discouraged and downcast when we're not in the Word on a regular basis. This is God's design. This is how He is designed to communicate encouragement to you. Besides the fact, as we've seen, we'll see even further in this passage, that this is where we see Christ and His example that we need to motivate us to live this way. Where do we find Christ in His example? In His Word. This is where He's displayed. This is where He is revealed to us. This is where we see the promises of God to hope in. We can't hope in something that we don't know anything about. We can't have Christ's example motivate us to live rightly before Him if we don't even know what that example was. So I just exhort you this morning, and we all need to hear this from time to time. We need to be systematically reading through the Scriptures. And if you're not on a reading plan of sorts, get on one. Find one. There's many out there. Not so you can just answer questions about what's in here or memorize verses, although that's good. But you need encouragement. You need hope. And this is where you will find it. Again, Paul points us later in the second half of verse 7 to Christ's example to motivate us. He says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then he goes on to illustrate this example again from a series of Old Testament texts. And we won't have time to really delve into these things at any great length. But observe this for a moment. If you look up where these passages are being drawn from, you'll find that they're from the law, the prophets, and the writings. This is a common Jewish way of referring to the whole Old Testament, the whole of Scripture. So he's, he's showing us that all of this is important for our instruction, even as he's giving this example with Christ. And basically, in summary of verses 8 and following, Christ is depicted as the one who serves to confirm the promises given to the Jews so that the Gentiles might also uh, participate and glorify God for his mercy. Christ is the one who welcomes sinners, Jew and Gentile alike, which we saw earlier in this letter. All are under sin and in need of a Savior. Let 
me ask you this. Do you see Christ as a welcoming Savior to you? Do you see God as a welcoming God to you? Consider this fact. That God is more welcoming to you than you could ever be to one another. We're often tempted to think otherwise. That God is not so welcoming. In fact, he'd rather not have us around. You ever think that thought? We have trouble welcoming those with different opinions than us, let alone our enemies. But didn't Christ, didn't God welcome his enemies when he saved us? You were his enemy. I was his enemy. And he welcomed us. He he welcomes you to turn from your sin and to run into his loving arms. He is a welcoming Savior, a welcoming God. Think about how patient and gracious Christ is in welcoming us. He doesn't accuse us constantly. He doesn't continually point out our faults in order to cause us to despair or to tear us down. You know, when we criticize and tear others down with our words, with a critical spirit, gossip or otherwise, pointing out the flaws and the weaknesses of others, bringing them up so that they won't look so good, you know. Who are we acting like? Are we acting like Christ? Or are we acting like the one in Scripture who is the accuser of the brethren? That's how the enemy acts. One of my favorite passages, um, if you get a chance, look back at it. But in Zechariah chapter 3, there's this beautiful scene of Joshua the high priest standing before God in filthy garments. And Satan is there accusing him. Look at all the, look at all the filthiness, the uncleanness. And God's response, he rebukes the accuser. He rebukes him and puts clean garments on him. Think about that the next time you're tempted to tear someone down with your words or your gossip. In Christ, we see this glorious picture of what it looks like to please others and to welcome them. But how are we to live this way? This seems very uh, unrealistic considering how selfish we are and how we struggle to do this. It seems impossible to live out. And it's almost as if Paul knows this and he prays, basically. In verses 5 and 6, he turns to God for a divine enablement 
He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of this prayer is for them to live in harmony with one another and glorify God in doing so. We need divine resurrection power, to borrow a phrase from uh, Ephesians 1, uh, to know the hope that we have in Christ, to live in harmony with one another. This doesn't come naturally, it comes supernaturally. So when you're tempted to say, well, yeah, I can try that, but I'm never going to get there, so what's the use? You're never going to get there on your own. That's a given. But God wants us to call out to him, and he wants to empower us to grow and to change, to be more like Christ's example. So when you're tempted to think that way, pray. And then in verse 13, which is more of a general prayer, sort of concluding this section that began back in chapter 12, but having... You know, being filled with all joy and peace and believing can only help living in harmony with one another. So the key point is that we need to pray. We need to go to the source of these very, very qualities that God himself supplies and that we are to exhibit. This is how we glorify, by the way, this is how we glorify God. And this is how amazing our God is. How do we glorify him? We go to him and receive. That glorifies the God of encouragement. To go to him and say, I need encouragement. To go to his word to find encouragement. That that glorifies him. You see, his glory doesn't take from us. It gives. I hope that's an encouraging Reminder to you this morning. Well, in this passage, there's one practical implication, I think, that we can draw from this text. It can be summed up by this. You cannot be God-centered if you are not other-centered. You are not God-centered, God-glorifying, if you're not others-centered. I want to challenge you with something very practical. This week, I want you to consider to think of one tangible thing that you can do or say that's other-centered, that's going to spiritually benefit a brother or sister in Christ uh, in this church. This week, think of one tangible thing that you can say or do to build someone else up spiritually and to please others rather than yourself. Remember Polycarp's words that I mentioned earlier as he faced his own death for the faith. He said, never, he never did me any wrong. Speaking of Christ, 
Let me ask you, has Christ pleased himself at your expense? Does he perpetually bring up your flaws and your failings to discourage you or to tear you down? Holding them over your head? By the way, that's contrary to the whole gospel message. Has Christ rejected you? Or has he welcomed you? How then will you treat your brothers and sisters here at St. Andrews? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we confess that uh, often we do not live this way. We are prone to self-centeredness. We are prone to pleasing ourselves and not thinking at all of others. We do a poor job of welcoming others in love. Help us to be more like Christ. Even this week, Lord, stir our hearts to remember these truths, to remember these exhortations, that we might walk in a way glorifying to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.